So do your friends despise and forsake you? Today's passage, we're looking at Ecclesiastes 12, 1 through 8, and we're considering especially a word to the young people. And sometimes your friends have a thing or two to say to you as a young person. But really, the sermon applies to anyone that's still breathing, to anyone that still has breath, to anyone that still has their heart beating here today, that can hear my voice. But he calls out, as you'll see, to the young people in the beginning, and many think the whole book is written because Solomon is teaching the young people. He's, he's giving them sermons, lessons, teachings on how to live a wise life. And he wants these young people to grow up and be godly leaders. He wants them to not make the same mistakes and foolish sins that he fell into. He wants them to stay away from those traps. And so as I read this text, you'll see how he's comparing being young to being old. And then we'll work through it. And the title here today is, Remember Your Creator Before It's Too Late. Before it's too late. Ecclesiastes 12, starting in verse 1. Remember also your Creator and the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. In the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, and mighty men stoop, the grinding ones stand idle because they are few, and those who look through windows grow dim, and the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. And one will arise at the sound of the bird, and all the daughters of song will sing softly. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags himself along, and the caperberry is ineffective. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the pitcher by the well is shattered, and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Hevel of Hevels, says the preacher, all is Hevel. So I'm just translating that one with a Hebrew word in there. I'll explain that. If you haven't heard me talk about Hevel, we'll look at that when we get to that text. So King Solomon has been taking us on a journey through this book. He's been taking us on a journey, a tour of what he's learned in life. He doesn't want us, the reader, us, the Christian, the follower of God, to fall into those same traps that he did. And he wants to teach us about the purpose of life, about the meaning of life, about living for God, living for God's glory. You're not meant as a Christian to just live like the world. You're supposed to live for God's glory. You're supposed to live for Christ and point people to Christ who points and takes people to the Father through the work of the Spirit. Now, Solomon, as I said, did fall into sin. 1 Kings 11 tells us that when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not follow the Lord fully as David his father had done. 
Now, there's no record that Solomon turned back. If you read all of First and Second Kings, it doesn't mention Solomon turning away from those sins. But I do think he wrote Ecclesiastes. If you read the first couple of verses, it talks about king over all Israel in Jerusalem. That only fits Solomon. There were only two kings over all Israel before it split that reigned in Jerusalem. That's David and Solomon. And if you read this, you'll understand it sounds a lot like the book of Proverbs, also written by King Solomon. So I think the book itself tells us he repented. The book tells us that he's saying, I learned from these mistakes. I turned back to the Lord. Don't make the same mistake I did. Remember your creator and obey his commandments. Fear God, which we'll look at next week, and obey his commandments. So this is probably written in the last decade of Solomon's life as he looks back and he's trying to teach the next generation how to live a godly life. Now as we come to chapter 12, the whole chapter is winding down the lesson of the book, the main theme. And this first section, 12, 1 through 8, is kind of the, the ending before the ending. 12, 1 through 8 is, is summing up the theme of the book, the problem we have in this life. We're under the curse. We're going to die. But he's not finished with that message. So you've got to come back next week and hear the final message on verses 9 through 14 when we see his final commands, his final advice for us as we study the whole book of Ecclesiastes. So here's his first conclusion. Here's his first one. He wants us to remember our Creator before it's too late. And as I said, he addresses the young, as I read to you. It's important, though, for every man, for every woman, for every child to understand this message. We all have a certain amount of time. We all have this life. We all have a window of opportunity to glorify God if you're a believer. We all have a certain lifespan to have faith in Christ, to to trust in our Savior. And if you're an unbeliever, this whole book is going to be a big mess to you. It's going to be difficult to understand. It's going to be challenging. It's challenging for the believer to understand because it's wisdom literature. It's even more challenging for the unbeliever. So we need to remember the God who made us. I'm going to give you two main points from the text and then we'll dive in a bit more to the second point. Number one, though, the first thing I want you to see here is the younger years are a time to live for God. The younger years of your life are a time to live for God. It's not a time to just waste. It's not a time to just have fun. It's not a time to go and do whatever you want, sin as much as you want, and hope that you make things better later on in life. He says, remember also. Not only Everything I've taught you, he says, but also the final thing you really need to remember, he says, is your creator and the days of your youth. Your youth here is anybody from 13 into their 20s, maybe even up to 30, maybe even into their 30s. You remember uh, one of the Pharisees challenged Jesus and says, you know, you're not yet 40 and you're challenging us. Sometimes the idea would be, You're too young to even speak in your 30s. But most often in the Old Testament, youth here is the young person. The teenager is just a young adult and into their 20s. You need to listen to this, he says. 
These group of men that he's addressing and all men and women today who fit this and even us older gray-haired ones, we need to look at this and learn the message. Now, this is the same audience that he wrote the book of Proverbs for. Proverbs 1.4, he says, To give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. We need knowledge. We need discretion. We need discernment, especially the youth. The youth are the ones most likely to be foolish, most likely to just run into sin without even worrying about the consequences. And so he says, don't do that. Remember your creator. Creator here is in the plural in Hebrew. And it could be a reference to the plurality of the Trinity. One God, three persons. Could also be the the royal we, the, the majesty of God expressed here. But I think there's an implication here that the Trinity is in view. Remember who God is. Remember all that he said in Ecclesiastes. Remember all that the Bible has already taught before this. And we might even add, remember all that you know from the New Testament, from the whole Bible. Who is God? He's our creator. He's providentially upholding all things. Solomon has continued to point to God's providence. The fact that he does uphold all things, that he does drive all things to his good purpose. We need to remember that when we look at the world, when we see things falling apart, when we see troubles, riots, when we see sin affecting the world, God is in control. He is the creator and sustainer. And you need to remember that. You need to, first of all, just believe that there is a creator. There's a huge movement today that denies the creator, that denies that we have been created in his image, that denies any creation at all. In fact, evolution teaches that we've all been evolved from monkeys, from apes, going all the way back to that primordial goo. The Bible says that God created, that God created everything, that God created man in his image. The the hierarchy, the, the highest point of that hierarchy of creation is the creation of man and woman, of people, of human beings. We did not evolve according to God's word, which I trust more than anything people have come up with in the last 100 years. We did not evolve from that. Sure, we can adapt. Animals can adapt uh, throughout the world. But that's not evolution. That's just God putting variety in us. We all have different looks, different skin tones, different hair colors. But God created us. And it takes faith to believe that. That's why evolution can persuade an unbeliever so easily. But the Bible says over and over that it takes faith to believe that God created. It takes faith to believe and the true God revealed to us in Scripture. Notice Solomon says, He is your creator. Your creator. He created everything and He created you. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it as a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. And then right after that, he says, I am the Lord, there is no one else. He created the earth, and he created it to be inhabited by people. It's not meant to just be a waste place. It's not meant, like many people today say, where we need to get rid of humanity so the earth can flourish. 
It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the earth was created for people. And he made you, you specifically. He made you a living soul. He made every single atom in your body and he put it all together in your mother's womb. He specifically made you to glorify him. He is your creator and you need to acknowledge that. The basic, most simple understanding of remember is just to recall to your mind who God is and the fact that he's made you. If you remember that, then you realize that you owe him something. You owe him thanks, Romans 1 says. You owe him worship, and you owe him obedience. So what does it mean to really remember your creator? Well, it doesn't just mean to recall it to your mind and occasionally remember, oh yeah, God created me. It's not just the knowledge here. When he says remember, when he commands us to remember, he's saying that we need to act on that. We need to live in light of that fact. That God created us, and we're going to see him again someday. It's not just, oh yeah, I remember there is a God back in Sunday school as a kid. I remember God's in the Bible somewhere. No, no, you need to remember that God has created you for a purpose. And he's going to call you to account for that at the end of your life. He is your creator. You must acknowledge that, but you must also follow and do what he has told us to do. All people, believer and unbeliever, they're both supposed to, because all mankind is created by God for his purpose, we're supposed to acknowledge him, give thanks to him, love him, serve him. Now we can't do that because of sin, because of total depravity, until God regenerates us, until God makes us born again, until we have faith in Christ and turn from our sin. But then we can. This becomes very important for the believer, for the young believer listening here today, for the older believer listening here today. Remember who God is and do as he has commanded us. Not to earn your way. If you're already saved, there's, there's nothing to earn. You couldn't earn it anyway. The purpose is to glorify him to do as he wishes us to do, to bring glory to him, to live for him, even to enjoy the good gifts. Solomon has been telling us about all these good gifts. We're to enjoy them for his glory. What does it mean to remember him? Well, if you look up all the occurrences in the Old Testament, you're going to find that most often this comes to remembering God and obeying his commandments. And the law, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, Israel's commanded to remember the Lord their God and follow His commandments. In the Psalms, it speaks often of remembering God's power, His covenant, His works, His loving kindnesses, His name, His ordinances. Remember who He is and what He expects us to do. Jeremiah says, remember the Lord from afar, even when they were going into captivity. They're to remember who God is and obey His commandments. Jonah says, while I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. While I was dying, Jonah says, while I was dying at the bottom of the ocean in the fish's belly, I remembered the Lord. Then he talks about how when, he, when he's rescued by God, he's going to go back to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. Even at the very end of the Old Testament in Malachi, chapter 4, verse 4, remember the law of Moses, my servant even the statutes and ordinances which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. We've got to remember the Lord and remember what he's taught us. 
when you're in school as a young child, when you were learning, when you were learning how to read, you didn't forget that lesson 10 years later. Some of us forgot algebra, but we didn't forget one plus one. We didn't forget the basics. God has given us the basics here in Scripture. And sometimes it's, it's a little bit of algebra and calculus in some places, but it's a lot of basics that we have to remember. And we even have to work at the hard stuff in Scripture as well. Remember what God has taught us and told us to do. Psalm 137, verse 6 says, My tongue, my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Let me not even speak, God, if I'm not remembering you and exalting you. Let me say nothing if it can't be ultimately for God's glory. If I can't come to church and sing for God's glory and lift him up. If I can't talk to others for God's glory. Remembering God started in your younger days, if you're older here today. And if, hopefully, if you were a believer, then you were thinking about God. If you were an unbeliever, of course you weren't. But for the young people here today who are believers, you need, you must, you absolutely have to remember God throughout your younger days. It's not a choice. It's not something that we listen to the world for. There's a lot of bad teaching out there. Not just in Christianity, but in the world. I was uh, doing some things around the house yesterday, taking a break from going over my studies. And I listened to music that I listened to growing up. And it's called country music. Some of you might have heard about it. There's a lot of bad theology in country music, but there's some good theology. And as the songs were just playing on this little station thing that just throws songs at random, I realized, wow, that sounds like Ecclesiastes. Don't blink. Life is going to go by quick, right? You're going to miss this. Life is going to go by fast. They stole everything from Ecclesiastes and just made a bunch of songs about it. And then I heard one that fits this passage about remember your creator in your youth. It's called No Hurry, and it's basically about a guy who skips work to go fishing. But here's a, uh, here's a little phrase here. Heaven knows that I ain't perfect. I've raised a little cane. And I plan to raise a whole lot more before I hear those angels sing. Then in parentheses, going to get right with the Lord, but there will be hell to pay, but I ain't in no hurry. Meaning, I'm going to live it up now. I'm going to enjoy life as much as I can. And I know in the back of my mind, I need to get right with the Lord. But I'm not in any hurry. Nothing to rush it. We got to live it up now. We have to enjoy this life. True but not in the sense that he's talking about. The young person to remember your creator means that you're not swayed by the world. That you're not going to listen to the world's thinking on this. That you're not going to live a life of sin just because all your friends and all the people maybe even that you know are living a life of sin. You're going to live for the Lord. You might have heard of Jonathan Edwards. And at 18, he wrote all these resolutions. And he said, even if no one else is living for the Lord, if no one else that I know is living for his glory, he said, I will. I will do it. And that's how you have to be as a young person in today's world especially. There's all kinds of ways that the world is going to get you to think differently. The world's going to tell you that your emotion and your feelings are your guide to life. There's plenty of songs about that out there. Your emotions, your feelings, whatever you feel must be right, the world will say. 
But the Bible will tell you that God's word is your guide in life. That your feelings and emotions need to match what it teaches, not the other way around. The world, the flesh, and the devil will say, live it up while you're young. Don't let those old people tell you how to live. But the Bible says, younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Listen to the Bible. Listen to God. Don't listen to the world. Your peers in the world will tell you that drinking, drugs, sexual immorality are just what young people do. The Bible says, do not get drunk. The Bible says, stay sober-minded. The Bible says, flee sexual immorality. It's completely opposite than what we hear from the world. Young person, be careful what you take in, who you're around. If you're a Christian, you have a higher master. The world is not your master. Christ is. The world will say, find your own path to God. And the Bible's only written by men. The Bible says Jesus is the only way to God. And he says, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word. The world is full of options, choices, feelings, emotions, everything that you can think up, the world has to offer. The Bible is a very defined path. The Bible has boundaries upon your life, and you're not supposed to go outside of those boundaries. Not because there's good and bad, and we're trying to weigh that out with God. No, we say we're redeemed. We ought to do what the Redeemer says, because it brings Him glory, because it brings Him all the glory that we could offer with our lives. So that's number one. Number two, life is a fleeting vapor. It's over quick. It's over fast. Make use of it now. Remember your creator now. Young, middle-aged, older. But especially he's saying the young have their whole life ahead of them. Don't get to the end of your life. Say, well, that passed fast. I wish I'd have done more for the Lord. Wish I'd have really lived for him according to his word. I was a believer since I was 12, but you know, I didn't live for him. I did what I wanted until I was 85. Life is a fleeting vapor. He's telling you ahead of time. So you don't have to be 85, 90 years old and say, I wish I would have made better use of my life. So it gives us three time markers. Three time markers that each start with the word before. So nice three point outline here for the second point. Each phrase starts with the English word here before. Remember God before these things happen in your life. Don't wait until you're older and then look back. Now sometimes we do. Sometimes the older people in the room will tell you, young person, that we made all these mistakes like Solomon. And we have to look back and we have to then teach you not to do those same things. But you know now the truth. You know what some of us didn't know in our teenage years, in our 20s. You know what the Bible teaches. You know what this message is here. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before old age hits. First of all, he says, before difficult times. Difficult times will come. And you need to remember God before these things happen. Remember God. Remember who He is and follow His commands. Before the evil days come, He says. Still in verse 1. The evil days are coming. 
He's not talking about the sin in the world. Remember, evil in the Old Testament, a word that can be used for moral evil when a person sins against God, but it's also just bad. When bad times come, and that's what he's getting at here. When the bad days come, when the dark days come, when the difficult, hard, distressing, calamitous, sad days come, and they seem to come faster and faster as you get older. There are days coming in your life that will seem like they're just full of misery and trouble. When you're suffering, when people you know are dying, because the older you get, the more friends and family members die off. There's a time coming later in your life when it's going to seem like it's much worse than it was when you were younger. Particularly if you were a believer for most of your life. And he says, the years draw near when you will say, I have no delight in them. There are sad days coming in old age. When friends and family die, when you suffer from various spiritual problems, emotional problems, physical challenges. Many things that, as a young person, you don't have to worry about now. But we all know, us that are over 40 at least, that things don't work like they used to. Life gets harder. Our mind works slower. Our body works slower. Our emotions sometimes are more easily challenged. Your ability, he's saying, to serve God will be inhibited. It will be harder for you then. Make it a practice now. Set it in your ways now. Because when you get older, it's harder to change. What's the saying about an old dog? You can't teach an old dog new tricks. Now, God can save older people. I read a testimony the other day where he saved somebody that was 100 years old. But from our perspective, not from God's sovereignty, but from our perspective, the more set in our ways that we get, the harder it is to change. So serve him now while you can. And that includes enjoyment. Solomon's told us over and over that we need to enjoy the good gifts he's given us. Enjoy those within the boundaries that he's given you. Enjoy marriage, he said. Enjoy marriage, not fornication, not sexual immorality. Enjoy work. Don't overwork. Don't be lazy, but enjoy the work that he's given you. Enjoy the fruit of that work because there are dark days coming. Now, the unbelieving world doesn't worry about this. They do in their heart, but they do all things outside in their life to make themselves forever young. They think, that they will live forever. In fact, the anti-aging industry is a $60 billion a year industry. $60 billion is expected by 2030 to be $420 billion. Someone needs to tell them you can't stop the aging process. The whole industry is called anti-aging. And I know it's to try to look more youthful, but the name itself makes people think that you're not going to age. You will age. That's part of it. Adam and Eve started to die as soon as they left the Garden of Eden. They did not die for hundreds of more years, but lifespans have gotten much shorter since before the flood. You can't stop the aging process. The cryogenics industry, you know, that's where they they freeze the person because someday they think science will be able to bring you back to life. $12 billion a year Americans are spending to freeze their heads or their whole body thinking that science will save them someday, that they don't have to worry about the difficult dark days that come in life, 
because someday they'll be revived, resurrected, to live healthy and wealthy once again. Well, there will be a resurrection. It won't be like those people are thinking, though. That's all the world can really hope for, though. That's it. But we have something better to hope for. Yeah, there are dark days coming, but the person who's going into those dark days knows that on the other side of it, if you're a believer, there are glorious days coming. There are heavenly days coming. That if you put your faith in Christ, that if you've turned from your sin, that if you followed Him and truly taken up your cross and followed Him every day, that you'll be resurrected with a new body, without those pains, without those dark days. But realize, young person, in this life, under the sun, dark days are coming. So live for God now. Make it a pattern in life now. Secondly, not only are dark days coming in general, difficult times coming in general, but number two, the body breaks down in old age. The body breaks down in old age. Now, everyone knows this, but the younger you are, the more you don't think about it. The more you tend to believe that's not going to be you, that your body will always hold up, that things will always work well, that you feel good now, so of course you'll feel good tomorrow and 10 years from now and 40 and 50 years from now. But that's just us fooling ourselves. That's us craving for that immortal body that we don't yet have. And sometimes that's us sinfully just wanting to be young forever so we can do as we please. Now verses 2 through 5 talk about the body breaking down. And we know it's old age here. Probably the years and months just before death. And we know it's old age because in verse 1 he talks about the youth. And verse 6 he clearly is talking about death. So all of these metaphors that he lists... They must describe the aging process in the years to come. There's a lot of debate about these passages, what they mean. Some people say this is a house falling down, just one big picture of things falling down. Others say we shouldn't work so hard at looking at each phrase and trying to figure out what it means. But I think Solomon wrote this in a way that people would understand it. They would look at this and say, I know what he's talking about. I know what he means here. I feel exactly like he's saying in this or that phrase. And so that's the way I take it here. We're going to go through it line by line and talk about likely what these mean, what these meant to the original reader. There's a time coming in our lives, though, where our body will break down and things will not work as well. So young person and everyone else listening, realize time is drawing short. It's drawing near to our death. And our body breaking down makes us remember that. So we can think about and remember God, our creator. Verse 2. Remember God, your creator, before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, and clouds return after the rain. This is the reversal of nature. What do we expect to see once the storm has passed? Sunshine. Clear skies. Unless you live somewhere where it rains all the time. I wouldn't want to live there because I like the sunshine. There should be sunlight after the rain, not more clouds. The clouds have come through, and there seems to be more clouds right behind it. And it's just cloudy day after cloudy day. Now, during a person's younger years, there's, there's a lot of light, so to speak. Their life is bright. Their life is ahead of them. Things always look bright and positive. So the most optimistic people are young people. 
The older you get, the more pessimistic we tend to be. I think Solomon's trying to be realistic here in the book of Ecclesiastes. But he's saying, look, it's just one cloud after another, one storm after another. Your body is going to hurt. There's going to be struggles. Young people have a brighter outlook because they don't have as many health problems to slow them down and to worry about. And then he gets more specific in verse 3, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble. These are likely your hands, your arms, defensive weapons that protect your house, your body. Your hands begin to tremble. Your arms begin to shake in old age. You begin to, to feel like you don't have that motor skill that you used to have. That you're not as quick with your hands. That you have difficulty doing very fine things with your fingers. And he says the mighty men stoop. The mighty men here are the large muscles of the legs and back. They weaken and they're easily injured, causing you to stoop over. These mighty strong muscles that used to hold you upright and give you good posture end up causing you to stoop. Joints break down. Muscles that attach to bones no longer are very strong. Even our bones degenerate. And we stoop. There were once mighty muscles and they can no longer hold us up. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. Again, talking about aging here, there's in ancient times there would be women who would go out and they would use stones to grind. In less civilized cultures, they would just take rocks and grind them with their hands. Places that had a grinding mill, the women would put the grain under the grinding stone and that would grind them as they turned it. And so the grinding ones here are those that grind our grain, our food. Your teeth are going to fall out. Your teeth are going to be gone as you age, as you get older. You think, young person, that you have this bright, beautiful smile that your parents spent all these thousands of dollars to get you braces, line everything else up nice in your mouth, and they're just going to fall out. They're just going to be gone. And you're going to have to put some sort of dentures or partials or whatever in there. He says, remember God before old age comes, because this is what old age looks like. He also says here that those who look through windows grow dim. These are the eyes. The windows of the house, holes in the wall of the house where you look out. These are the holes in your head where you look out. The eyes grow dim. You can't see as well anymore. Like Joseph in Genesis 48.10, Now the eyes of Israel, I'm sorry, Jacob, the eyes of Israel, Jacob, were so dim from age that he could not see. This is the normal aging process. Now, I've always had great vision, 2020. And about January of this year, I found that I had a hard time reading small print up close. So my wife ordered me all of these reading glasses, and they're all over the house. And the kids love to take them and play with them. And I've been reading, you know, the last few weeks, the LSB, the Legacy uh, Standard, the little one. It's tiny. And one of my daughters kept saying, Dad, just bring your glasses. Why are you so embarrassed to put on your reading glasses? Just bring your glasses and put them on when you read that little Bible. As we get older, our eyes don't work as well. So we've got muscles and, and, and our body not working well, our teeth falling out. It sounds positive. sounds great. But we know that as a believer, there's good news on the other side of it. Well, I'll get to that. But young person, follow God now. 
before this happens, before the doors, verse 4, the doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. You could hear the grinding mill down the street, grinding grain all day. If you shut your door, you wouldn't hear it in ancient times. Or it would be much less. Now, some people think the doors here are a reference to lips because the teeth are the grinders. But I think the sound, the word sound, is more clear that these are ears. We can't hear as well. The doors that swing here get shut. We can't hear as well as we used to as you age. But one will arise at the sound of a bird. So while it's hard to hear people talking, you don't know what they're saying, you hear the little birds in the morning and you're up before the crack of dawn. You have a hard time sleeping in old age. You can't hear music as well. You can't hear anything as well. But you can hear the sound of that bird chirping in the morning, the one that you just want to be quiet so you can go back to sleep. The little slightest disturbance will wake you up. And so you find that you're up at sunrise. That's why you always think of your grandparents being up so early. And then he also says, all the daughters of song will sing softly. The ability to sing like you once did in your younger days is gone. These young women in ancient Israel would often sing. They would sing choir songs and the synagogue uh, later when there were synagogues. And yet he's saying, you can't even sing like you could when you were younger. Old age means your voice gets affected. You can't hear, you can't chew, and you have difficulty singing. Furthermore, we don't want any more than that, do we? But this is reality. We all know it. Furthermore, verse 5, men are afraid of a high place. Suddenly, you weren't afraid of heights, and now you're afraid to go down steps in old age. Because you might just fall and hit your shoulder, hit your leg, hit your hip. And the problem is, the older you get, the more brittle your bones get. They're not spongy and rubber like the little kids when you're two and three years old. You can fall, and even a green stick fracture is going to heal really quick because your bone just bends. In old age, your bone snaps. It's brittle. It breaks. So suddenly you're afraid of falling. You're afraid of going up and down in any height. And there's terrors on the road. Elderly are easy targets for criminals. Because they are less able to fight back. Criminals prey on the elderly. They don't expect any resistance. And he says the almond tree blossoms. I mean, this is beautiful poetry. If we were just looking at it from a literary standpoint. He's using all of this symbolism to describe old age. There are terrors on the road. There are almond tree blossoms. When the almond tree blossoms, it's white. Your hair turns white. If you still have any, when you're older, the grasshopper drags himself along. That's not a pretty picture, is it? He's hurt. You know, he's been run over. And the grasshopper is dragging his leg along the pavement. What's that talking about? He's talking about how we limp along in old age. Injured. We have this problem, that problem. We have to have a cane. We have to have a walker. Grasshopper drags himself along. The caperberry is ineffective. Caperberry was an aphrodisiac in the ancient world. And he's saying that desires that you have in youth, sexual desires are gone. And caperberries don't help either. Things don't work. There's not even desire there anymore. Nothing is working. My body is falling apart. 
And he says the reason here is for man is going, literally is going to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. While a person is dying. While they're moving towards their eternal home, there are already mourners gathering right on the edge of death here. Death is coming. Death is coming. But it's not all bad news. It hurts. It's painful. And the young should learn from that and and live for God now. But I'll give you some hope for the elderly here. There is hope in old age. Isaiah 46, verse 4. Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it and I will carry you and I will bear you and I will deliver you. Even when we're older, even when we're suffering from all these things that he lists here, God is with you if you are his, if you're a believer. God is carrying you. He's literally carrying you through your old age. He's there for you. He's helping you all along the way. And we know that we can look past death. Death is not the end. Old age is not the end. 2 Corinthians 4.16 Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man, our body, is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. And not far after that, 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, if our house falls down, if our body falls apart, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're going to be with God, and He's eternal. And He's going to give us a new body that never falls apart. You can't even imagine what that would be like. Even the young person here cannot imagine what a resurrected body on the new heavens, new earth, will be like. It's going to be glorious. All right, number three, death comes in the end. So we have dark days, then we have the body falling apart, and then we have final, finally death coming in the end. Remember him before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. A silver cord or rope would be a very expensive way to hang a lamp. Back then you had oil lamps and you would hang them on a stand, kind of like we have light stands or lamps in our house. And this stand would need a rope to hang the lamp down lower. And it would be very expensive, but you could have a silver rope, a silver cord to hang the lamp. And if the cord gets broken, if it wears out over time or someone cuts it, the lamp's going to fall to the ground and bust. And here it's a golden bowl. So the idea is a golden lamp, a golden bowl, falls to the ground and is crushed. Made of gold, made of silver. Life is valuable. Life is precious. We ought to care about life. But there's a time when even our precious life that God has given us will be cut, will be crushed. Some even say here, some Bible scholars say, the silver cord is the spinal cord and the golden bowl is the brain. It's possible. I want to push it that far, but it certainly fits the imagery. And then here, lastly, in verse 6, he says, The pitcher by the well is shattered. The wheel at the cistern is crushed. doesn't sound like the most exciting, positive language. This is not the kind of stuff that you hear from the health, wealth, and prosperity. Your body's going to be crushed. It's going to be shattered. Think about your life, is what Solomon is saying. It doesn't go well with 
prosperity preaching. These some see as the cardiovascular system. The pitcher is the heart and the wheel here, the wheel that turns to bring the rope up from the well, from the cistern, that's your arteries and veins. And it's certainly possible if he's using all this imagery as body parts. The heart stops working, the brain stops working, death has finally come. Remember God, your creator, before that. Because you know what's going to happen after that? Dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Let's go back to Genesis real quick. Genesis 2. Solomon knew his Bible, and especially Genesis he works off of here in Ecclesiastes. Genesis 2.7. Why are we going back to dust? That includes even those bodies being frozen. The minute you freeze a tissue, it's dead. Especially a human body. Genesis 2.7. Then... The Lord God formed man of dust from the ground. So what's our body truly made of? The same stuff as the earth. He took some dust and formed up a human body. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. We're not just a physical body. Naturalistic science, evolution, it doesn't explain who we truly are. Because we also have the breath of life that God breathed into us. He gives each body life. Now go over to three, Genesis 3.19. 3.19. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. God's dealing out the curse here. What's going to happen because they sin? It's going to be hard. You're going to have to work hard at it. Till you return to the ground. Because from it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Our body goes into the ground, and it's going to just be dust. It's going to decay. It's going to be like the earth. But what about the spirit? The life that God has put in us. Sometimes the Bible refers to it as spirit. Sometimes as soul. It's going to go to God. He's the one who gave the spirit. He's the one who gave us life, and he's going to take it back, and our spirit will go to him. In other words, we'll stand before God at death. All of us will stand before God at some point. Now, if you're His, then He'll welcome you in in the place of, of Christ taking our place. But to the unbeliever, they'll be cursed. They'll be sent to eternal punishment. So Solomon is just affirming here that we're made of two parts. A physical, uh, material, you could say, and an immaterial part, our spirit or our soul. Even Jesus, because He had a human body, He was a human person, He had a human spirit. And he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. As his human body was dying, he committed his spirit to God. Stephen in Acts 7, Lord Jesus, he says, receive my spirit. But there's hope even in death. Not just in old age that God will be with us, but he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. It's precious. Psalm 116, God thinks the death of his saints, his godly ones, are precious. Why is that? Because they're coming back to him. They're coming to be with him. God gave it, not like the Mormons say, not as if we're up there as a soul and then God zaps us down to the earth into a body. That's the Mormon teaching. No, the minute that God creates us, he breathes life into us. That's a spirit. That's a soul. But we're going back to him in the sense that he gave us life to begin with. 
And here's how Solomon sums it up. Vanity of vanities is what the NASB says. All is vanity. I don't like the translation. You probably have heard about this word, hevel, that I keep talking about. Hevel. Uh, the Hebrew, if you wanted to spell it in English, H-E-B-E-L. It's used three times right here in this sentence. Literally, it would be hebel hebelim, says the preacher. Everything is hevel. What does he mean by that? Some of you might be tired of hearing about hevel. But some of you are brand new and you've only come a time or two. Havel is used 38 times in this book of Ecclesiastes. He started the book with it. Almost the exact same sentence if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 2. And then he talked about all these things in the world and in life and what we should do. And now he's finishing off the book with it. So it must be important, especially if he mentions it 38 times. If you don't understand Havel, then you're missing the meaning of the book. And this is why there's so many interpretations on Ecclesiastes. I'm part of a group online and they were saying, what's a good commentary for Ecclesiastes? And I said, there are lots of good ones, but it all depends on where you land on the theme, on the meaning of the book. Because people are all over the place. And the translations are too. They have vanity, futility, meaninglessness. Do you really want to read and hear a sermon series on a book that just says all of life is meaningless? There's nothing there. And there are commentators who take it as a pessimistic book on how bad life is. Havel just means a vapor, a breath, a mist. That's literally what the word means if you look up all the occurrences in the Bible. And so what translators are trying to do is trying to fit it to the context, which isn't bad, but let's just start with the idea of a breath. What is he saying now? You start out young and you need to remember God, your creator, before old age comes and then you die because all is a breath. Starts to make better sense. All is a vapor. Vapor of vapor. Breath of breaths. All is a breath. Life is short. Life is over quickly. You don't have time to mess around, he's saying. It's temporary. It's insubstantial. It is over so fast, short-lived, transitory. That's the way I take it. That's the way I've preached it. I think it fits best with the whole book. Because of that, everything in this world matters. Everything we do matters. Every second we spend matters. It doesn't mean you're always at church. It just means whatever you're doing ought to be for the glory of the Lord. And it also means you can't control anything. You're only here for a short time. You're like the grass. You're here one day and then you fade away. God's in control. It reminds us God's in control because our life is a breath. It's over. It's gone. It's like chasing after wind if you try to control what's happening in your life, in this world. You're just chasing after wind. Do your best to follow what God has said Follow him, remember him, and he will work things out. We've seen all those lessons throughout the book. He's saying, don't chase the wind. Psalm 144 says in verse 3, O Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a mere breath. Hevel there, the Hebrew word. Man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Job 7, 16, I waste away, I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. Havel. 
Proverbs 21.6. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. A breath. It's fleeting. It's running away. It's so fast. And he says, if you follow your treasure, if you follow treasure in this world, that's the pursuit of death. And I'll just conclude here with James 4.14. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And the New Testament picks it up. This whole thing from the Old Testament is now found in James. It's found in 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, how is that good news that our life is a breath? Because it reminds you to get busy living for God. You can get busy dying to the world, or you can get busy living for God. Let's do that. Let's remember our Creator. Let's remember what we owe Him. If you're a Christian, what you owe Him for redeeming you. You owe Him your life. Not just your Sunday mornings. Not just your Bible reading time and your prayer life. Your whole life. Now get busy figuring out from Scripture what that is supposed to look like. And we're here to help you. The sermons, the teaching. You will continue to learn. But live for God. Because someday... Your body's going to completely break down and you'll be gone. And you don't get a second chance. Live for him now. This is your window of opportunity. Young or old, live for the Lord. Amen? Lord, thank you for our time today in this text. Thank you for Ecclesiastes, how it wakes us up to what is coming. We can't ignore it. Every pain we have, every joint that is degenerating, every organ that we have problems with reminds us that we're aging. It reminds us that death is coming. And most of all, it reminds us to live for your glory, to live for Christ, to make our life count for something. So give us the grace to do that. Help us to live for you from the day we recognize this all the way to our last breath. We pray that you would do this for your glory and in the name of Christ. Amen.